can't really sing. <laughs> la 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 SBNY podcast. I am your host and my name is Peter Kennedy. This podcast is on iTunes and Google Play. You can find it simply by searching Sports Blog New York podcast on either of those applications or go to sportsblognewyork.com, click the podcast tab, and any of those articles will lead you in the right direction. Today on the bill, we are going to give our quick thoughts on Tony Romo retiring from the game of football and now taking over for Phil Sims on the CBS broadcast team. We'll give you some thoughts on that. Quick thoughts also on the NCAA championship game, and then we're going to go Mets heavy. This is a Mets preview podcast. Obviously, the season has started already, but as we know, the baseball season is quite the long one, so never too late to do a preview. Well, actually, it is probably too late at some point, but it's definitely not too late yet, and me and my guests are going to get deep into the Mets and what we can look forward to and maybe what we could be a little worried about for this season coming up. But without further ado, I'm going to welcome in my guest. He's a co-founder of SportsBlogNewYork.com. He actually just wrote a great Mets preview on SportsBlogNewYork.com. His name is Joe Staubach. He's been on the show before. Joe, what's up, man? How you doing? How you doing, Pete? Thanks for having me back again. Of course. Thanks for coming back on. I'm pumped because the Mets played their first game of the year. Uh, A, that means baseball season's officially back, even though it was back the day before that. But as the Mets typically do, which people may not realize, they won on opening day, which they actually have the best record in opening day history, Absolutely. which is something else if you ask me. Uh, but I'm sure you're excited. You just wrote that article. Uh, how, how pumped are you on a scale of 1 to 10 for this Mets season? I'm very excited. Absolute 10. Absolute 10. I mean, this is it. This is the time. This is our window right now. I mean, Sandy Olsen came out and said it the other day. Uh, this is the Mets window, and you know, hopefully they can stay healthy and we can make a run at this thing. That's that's great, and I'm very excited as well. But before we get into the Mets, like I mentioned before, let's just do a quick chat about the stuff that's been going on in the news. And if you listen to any radio or looking up any articles, a lot of talk's been going on about Tony Romo and his retirement from football and his switch to the broadcast booth. It's a pretty big topic. I'll go to you first, and then I have some opinions on this as well. But how do you feel about the whole situation? A, start with the retirement and then go jump over to the broadcast side. I was a little stunned today, to be honest. Um, I didn't think he would go right into broadcasting. I thought if he was going to get released that there was obviously a team out there. Now, I don't think that's going to mean he's going to be in the broadcast booth the whole year. I think he just became every contending team's backup quarterback. Emergency plan, um, especially since his health has been so poor over the years, I think that if a contender does have a quarterback go down, let's say week 10, week 11, he's that guy that can step in. And then you have, you know, Tony Romo for a couple of weeks or heading into the playoffs instead of a, a backup quarterback that's not as skilled. And it was really interesting. I guess technically the Cowboys do control his rights because he just retired. He wasn't technically released or anything like that. So it would be really interesting to see what ends up happening. Say he does end up coming out of retirement. Uh, obviously, I think it's on the un- unlikely side that that happens, but you you cannot rule out the possibility. Uh, now, I want to ask you before I get into my my spiel on this because I have I think some strong opinions on this, uh, but I want to finish up with you first. How do you think Tony Roman will be in the booth? Uh, I think he'll be excellent, actually. Yeah, uh, I think he's a very intelligent guy. Now he's gonna hopefully do some uh, warm up games, maybe get a preseason game in there since he's never done it before. But uh, I understand he's actually also going to be doing the golf for CBS, which was a big thing for him. I know he's an avid golfer and a big golf fan, so I think that was part of his 
package of going to CBS, and that's what really drew him there. Wow, that's interesting. Uh, I actually didn't even hear about that detail or that wrinkle of his deal with CBS, but if the man loves his golf, I, I don't blame him at all. Uh, so the way I feel about this, and I'm going to jump past the fact that he's done with football, I think uh, for anybody who's a fan of his, it's sad to see him hang up the cleats for now, and I think he's a very talented quarterback, and I'll leave it with this regarding his football career. He was a very good quarterback. I don't think he's a Hall of Famer. I don't think you could call him a great quarterback. He was great at times, but full body of work. He did a few great things, but was a very good quarterback. Now moving on to the broadcast side of things. People are kind of freaking out about this a little bit, especially in the New York area. So for you guys listening in the New York area, I know we have a lot of listeners kind of spread out. Uh, across the nation, but our, our cores here in New York City, especially in the, the, the greater New York area, people are going to be really mad that they have to listen to Troy Aikman, former Cowboy, <laughs> and then flip over to CBS, and now Tony Romo. Now some people, and I was listening to Michael K. show earlier, they said that this is a ratings play, right? They're trying to get the ratings up for football because people freaked out a little bit because last year the ratings were down. In my opinion... And Joe disagree with me. And if you disagree with me, you can tweet at SportPlugNYC or at my personal Twitter, at Pete underscore Kennedy 81. Nobody tunes in for football games for the broadcaster. I'd agree. And on the same, or the other side of the coin, depends how you look at it, nobody tunes out of a football game because of the broadcaster. People are going to watch a game if they want to watch it, no matter who's calling it, no matter if they love them or hate them. Now, I believe personally, that now comes in my opinion, I think Tony Romo can do a pretty good job. The only way I see it affecting the ratings are in his first regular season game because people are going to be very curious how is he going to do. And then after that, who the hell cares if Tony Romo's on the call because you're watching the Giants if you're a Giants fan. If you care about the Falcons to pick another team, you're going to watch the Falcons game. And so many people watch the GOAT, Scott Hansen, on Red Zone. <laughs> anyway, that is this really going to be a big ratings change? In my opinion, I do not think so. No one tunes in for or tunes out for the broadcaster. But I, I wish Tony Romo luck. It's a hard job he's going into. And, you know, there's going to be a lot of talk about it over the next couple of days. We don't want to dwell on it too much. you have any more thoughts on the Romo thing? No, I'm just, you know, it's sad to see him go. Um Marcus Spears, his ex-teammate, was on with Doug Gottlieb this afternoon, and he said that a lot of this had to do with Tony's health. He said he was, you know, one hit away from possibly being a paraplegic. And, you know, Tony's got young kids, a good family, so, you know, this was just as much about his family and his health moving forward. And when you hear something that serious regarding an injury, you really don't want to take it too lightly. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, when they call, they, you'll hear a lot of people say, making a business decision. Right. I think that's what he may have been doing there. Uh, so my last thing on that is that Giant fans, just don't complain too much. I don't want to hear it. I'm a Giants fan. I know you don't want to hear Troy Aikman or Tony Romo, and now your boy Phil Sims is gone. Get over it. You're going to watch the games. They don't hate your team. That That's just how I feel. Football is football. Football is football. People are going to watch. All right. Let's move on from that. Let's go to the NCAA tournament. Championship game. A lot of people were underwhelmed. So was I. How'd you feel about it? Also underwhelmed. Uh, it was just a poor played game, and it was a shame because, you know, this tournament, I think, and the two games prior on Saturday night were absolutely excellent. And yesterday, uh, we got a ref show, I think. Pace of play, 
whistles, fouls, shooting, you know, playing in that big arena. You know, it didn't do any help to the teams, and, you know, it wasn't good. wasn't a good game. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, you can possibly chalk up the number of fouls to the lack of rhythm for the shooters on both teams because both teams didn't shoot well. But no, no matter how you look at it, they didn't shoot well from outside. They didn't shoot well from inside. There was a ton of free throws. The second half was so slow. Granted, it ended up being semi-close at the end, and I stayed tuned for the whole game. Absolutely. Overall, re- reading Twitter, hearing radio, reading articles, the overall opinion on this, I believe, was negative. The refs ruined the game. They slowed it down too much. Let the boys play. And now, granted, it's probably not as bad as you hear. Right. There's definitely a negative side to that game. Oh, I couldn't agree more. And... um you know, it's a shame because these two teams, you know, they battle all year to get there. And then, like, a guy like Zach Collins who gets fouled out with, you know, six six minutes left in the game. I mean, that's tough for a kid like that. But, um, you know, overall, it was nice to see uh, my Tar Heels get it done. I was pretty excited about oh, that. your Tar Heels. Yes, my Did, Tar Heels. You had them going all the way, too? I had them playing Gonzaga in the finals, actually. You are one of the few. <laughs> and actually, uh, I'm glad you bring it up. Uh, our Sports Blog New York bracket, our first ever bracket we did for a giveaway of a Magic Johnson autographed picture, our winner, who tweeted at us first thing in the morning on, oh, wow. tu- on Tuesday, he was excited. He also had UNC beating Gonzaga in, um, in the finals, and he ended up taking home our Sports Blog New York tourney. Excellent. But congratulations. Good, good for you as well. Uh, congratulations. Did you, did you take any of the pot home in any of your brackets? Yeah, I did. I took uh, a couple hundred home in one of ours. for. Uh, we do it back with our friends, so... Uh, that was a nice little gift along with my Tar Heels. Congratulations, Thank man. Thank you. I, I, I did not. <laughs> it wasn't even close, actually. But what are you going to do? Uh, without, without further ado, let's get into the real reason why we're here. Yes. We're here for the Mets preview. You wrote a phenomenal piece on SportsBlogNewYork.com. And again, this is SportsBlog New York Podcast. My name is Peter Kennedy. Joined here with Joe Staubach. So you watched the first game of the year. Let's not break down the specific first game too much. But let's start off with what gets broken down from the Mets. Probably the most, right? Let's start with the pitching staff. And I believe that's also what you started with in your article. Yep. So I'll give you the floor. Take uh, take the listeners, take everybody from top to bottom, all the storylines you can think of. Uh, I'll jump in if I have something to say. What? Do, how the, should the fans feel about the Mets pitching staff this year? Well, I mean, right away, you can obviously see the old adage that you can never have too much pitching coming into fruition again. I mean, we saw it all last year. And, you know, now we have Mats on the DL already, Lugo on the DL. So, you know, right away, their depth's getting um, tested early. And I know they were talking today on Twitter about possible free agents, uh, guys like Doug Fister, just to bring in to get depth. Um, but obviously, you saw when they do get on the mound, like yesterday, I mean, Syndergaard was unbelievable. Adding that change up to his arsenal, you know, he's already out there throwing 99, 100-miles-an-hour fastballs, 93-mile-per-hour sliders. And now he's got that devastating changeup. So if he can stay healthy, I mean, he should be a Cy Young contender. I know you got Kershaw on the National League, but he's the guy that should give him a run for his money. And then um, I think DeGrom behind him. DeGrom had a great spring training. He got that velocity back up to, you know, last year it kind of dipped a little bit. You know, he had some uh, elbow problems as well last year, obviously. But um, he's another guy I think is going to bounce back in a big way. And, uh, you know, then you got Matt Harvey. He's a big question mark to me. I think he's kind of the make-or-break guy for this team, uh, considering he's now a number three starter. When you know when Matt Harvey was brought here, he was supposed to be the man. He was supposed to be the number one, and um, you know the injuries have obviously slowed him down. We've seen him bounce back though. We saw it in 2015 after he came back from Tommy John. 
He won comeback player of the year. He had a good year. Um, but I think this year is big for him, especially with free agency coming up in a few years. I uh, just look for him to you know, first get his velocity back. I think that was a big problem last year. Obviously, with the thoracic outlet syndrome, mm -hmm. he complained that he couldn't really feel the ball in his hand. He was kind of pushing the ball. He saw with his, his, um, his motion, he was kind of like cupping the ball at the end. He didn't, wasn't doing that in spring training this year. He made some good progress from the beginning of spring to the end of spring. So I think he's really the big key for that rotation. Because if he's going to pitch like a number one starter as your number three starter, I mean... Then you feel better about number four, number five, exactly. being a little injury prone right. or a little bit banged up. Then you could live with the spot starts from, you know, if you need a spot start from Montero or whatever for, to fill in for a guy like Wheeler every once in a while, you feel more confident in that. But, you know, the guy I'm looking forward to seeing how he does is Robert Gazelman. Because he's still I like to very call him young. Dirty to Grom. Yeah, he. I mean, he's <laughs> the Jacobs twin out there. He's badass to Grom out there looking. <laughs> and uh, people don't realize that he's only 23 years old. So I mean, that's another young guy that if he's gonna, you know, get that sinker in on uh, right-handed hitters, get some ground balls. He does throw hard. He's up in the mid 90s, 95. Um, I think he kind of burst onto the scene last year, and I think what he did in the spring, you know, the Mets could really have something there. And it's really amazing how many pitchers they've had. Even right. the ones that they've let go. You know, you look at guys like Fulmer. Um, Who you'd love to have now. Uh, you really, really would love to have you him. You would love to have him, but, I mean, what you got in return, you can't really be uh, Oh, for sure. You <laughs> can't complain, complain about that because, you know, you'd say we had Fulmer. We never made that trade. Uh, we'd be lacking in some other areas, which we'll yeah, get into in a little bit. Anyway, probably wouldn't have that World Series run in 2015. Oh, absolutely not. And I want to talk to you about about Syndergaard quick, and then I'll I'll pop, pop back to Degrom and Harvey, and we'll go back top to bottom. So, are you worried about this blister thing? I'm not. Um, I don't think he's that type of guy that's gonna complain or miss a couple starts because of a blister. Uh, he's just a freak, to be honest. Right. And uh, our guy Joe Trezza, he was on the podcast a couple weeks ago. I know you you know him pretty well. Yes. As well, he. Asked Terry Collins in the press conference after the game yesterday, which finger was it on? And Terry's response to me with the way I read the quote was was lighthearted enough right. for me to feel more comfortable. Terry basically said, oh, I can't tell you, this is a family show, <laughs> exactly. you know what I mean? So Terry seemed lighthearted about it, so I'm going to stay calm about it yeah, for now, and, too. <laughs> uh, I know Noah's at the Knicks game tonight, so I don't think he's losing any sleep over it either. So uh, I don't uh, think it's going to be that big of a deal. I don't know why he's at the Knicks game. But, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, that big game last night. He wants to go out and show his face. Get on Celebrity Row real quick, I guess, huh? Uh, so let's move on to Jacob DeGrom. So we got Syndergaard. He's going to be a stud. Everybody's looking at him as a top five pitcher in the league, possibly uh, top five, top ten, possibly a Cy Young candidate. But let's move on to another guy who's been a Cy Young candidate before in Jacob DeGrom. He's never pitched 200 innings in his career in a season. Do you see that happening this year? If so, if or I'll I'll say this if not, is that the end of the world as long as he's healthy by the end of the year? I mean, if he's healthy by the end of the year, um, I don't see that being a big deal. I mean, obviously, you look at Jacobs' um, frame as a pitcher. I mean, he's not the big hulking guy that Syndergaard is. Um, he's you know tall, lanky guy. But um, same thing as long as he's there at the end of the year, just like he was in 2015 when the Mets made that run. Uh, they just need these guys healthy at the end of the season. You can't have what they had last year. You know, God bless Lugo and Gazelman, but you don't want those guys being your two and threes possibly going into a playoff series. Especially since we literally lost Lugo. Exactly. <laughs> now. I mean, that came out of nowhere, so that sucks. But, yeah. you know, what are you going to do? Keep moving. And that's why you wanted that depth at that position. I mean, if any other position in the league or 
in the in the game of baseball needs depth in today's day and age. It's pitching staffs. Right. So maybe we don't have it in the bullpen, but we had it in the starting rotation, and you already see that two people got chopped down for now. And granted, if you want to count Zach Wheeler, who I don't know if we mentioned too much yet, he's in the rotation, but he's a guy who you gotta you know take with a grain of salt because he's coming back from such a tough injury. Um, but you have Syndergaard, we have Degrom, and I think I'm gonna say this about Degrom before we talk about Harvey a little more. Degrom might be the best pitcher on Absolutely. the staff, right? So Syndergaard has the best stuff, the most electric stuff. Degrom stuff is great, don't get me wrong, but he might be the best pitcher, right? So now we have Matt Harvey who last year may have been a little bit in, in between. Obviously, he was battling injury. Do you think Matt Harvey, now losing some velocity, losing some sharpness on his on his off-speed off stuff, is learning to become a better pitcher? Not as much of a thrower, but a better pitcher. I really hope so. I mean, obviously, it's going to be an adjustment. I mean, you've seen it with some pitchers. You saw it uh, a couple years ago with C.C. Sabathia of the Yankees. You know, it takes some time to learn how to become a pitcher at when you lose your fastball. Um, now, I don't think Matt's fastball is going to be completely gone. It's not like he's going to shoot down to the low 90s. He'll still be you know, around 95, 96 miles per hour. But what I'm looking for, Matt, is that, that chip on his shoulder. You know, when he first came up, you know, he was kind of the badass. You know, he had the bloody nose and he had the fat lip, you know. But um, I really think he needs to get back into that attitude. And you see he's got kind of his swag back. He's dating Adriana Lima now, <laughs> you know. So hopefully he can... Uh, get back on his game and turn this thing around. And this is something when you listen to Gary, Keith, and Ron or uh, Howie on the radio, when they talk about the pitching staff and they talk about how tight-knit of a group they are, Harvey was the first guy to come up, right? So even though DeGrom's pretty close to an age, is he is he a year younger, a year older? Yeah, he's uh, like right about the same age. They're basically the same age, but obviously Syndergaard's a lot younger. Obviously Wheeler and Matt's are a lot younger. It doesn't matter. They all look up to Harvey. He was the first one who burst on the scene. He was the first one in the major leagues. And they did spend some time together before that. So whether or not he's the best and most dominant pitcher on the staff, they all have this sense of looking up to Matt Harvey. And if he could come out and be a 1A, a 1B, a 2, mm-hmm. and or where he actually is, a 3, you know, Met fans shouldn't be too upset with that. As long as he brings the competitive edge, as long as he's fiery on that mound, and he leads those other guys. So I think there's a lot to look forward to for Matt Harvey. For me, I don't know if you agree with this or not. I kind of I'm looking for that bounce back year. Absolutely. I don't want to say that I expect it, but I kind of do expect it. I think the health that he dealt with, the health issues he dealt with, are in the past. And last year was the true battle. Once he made it through that, he's got the whole off season. He's coming back fresh. And the most important thing you said to me about Harvey so far today is that his velo has been getting better and better and better. Right. So what are your realistic expectations for Harvey this year? I'm looking for... Put some numbers on it. I want him to have a a kind of similar season to the ad in 2015. So, I mean, if that's going to be like a... Even like a 13-7 and year with an ERA in the low threes, you know, I think that's good enough for him, especially in this rotation where you're going to have Syndergaard with the low ERA, DeGrom with the low ERA. You know, as long as he's healthy, as long as he's... You know, not going out like last year and getting shelled in the, in the second, third inning and then the taxing the bullpen. You know, I think that will be a good year for him. And, um, you know, he's a guy, he's a Boris guy. You know, this is a big year for him. I think he realizes that. You know, he's going to want to get his money. And the teams have seen that he's gotten hurt uh, two years now, two out of three years. So I think, you know, he knows too, like, this is the year I got to come back and I got to put up some big numbers. And in case any of you who just heard Joe mention Boris, uh, in case you don't know, Boris, Scott Boris, is a – 
pretty famous agent at this point who's dealt with some of the most high-profiled athletes in all of sports. Uh, A-Rod, one yep. of his guys. Uh, a couple other ones are jumping my head right now. Do you have any other top of the top of your head? Uh, not yeah, stop well, my head. I, honestly, he as, long as, money. as long as you got A-Rod, <laughs> I, I think he does like from football guys too. He does a lot. Bryce oh, Bryce Harper. That was the guy who I was actually trying to think of. Yeah. So Scott Boris also has Bryce Harper. He had A-Rod. He, he's a guy who's getting his players paid. So Harvey understands that. And the only thing that can hold back Harvey from getting paid is being hurt. Exactly. So if he's healthy, you can expect him to be pretty solid. And people will give him the benefit of the doubt after what he's done in the past. So he wants to get paid, and that's pretty much just that. But I want to talk about this thing that 538.com put up. 538.com is affiliated with ESPN. They do a lot of great stuff with statistics and numbers, analytics, all that all that jazz. They put out something today uh, about every rotation in Major League Baseball. They have some pitcher score that they come up with that we're not going to get too deep into now because it's not that interesting. But they have a score. And they put together the average for all five starters in a rotation for every team in each division and across the whole league. According to 538's thing, to their uh, projection, the Mets ranked as the fifth best pitching staff in the league. Behind the Cubs, which are number one, the Red Sox, which are two, the Dodgers, which are three, Blue Jays are just above them at four, and the Mets are five. Do you have any gripes with that? I do. Um... I would not have the Mets behind Toronto, and probably not Boston either. Um, I know Boston just got Chris Sale, but you know, give me a show-me year from Chris Sale moving to the American League East. You know, let me let me see you do it first. Um, you know, Rick Porcello had a good year last year. His ERA, though, I thought Verlander should have won the Cy Young. You know, the Red Sox going to give you a ton of run support. Um, Toronto, uh, same thing. You know, show me you can do it. Uh, Marcus Stroman, Aaron Sanchez, you know, these young guys. You know, Sanchez hasn't gone through a full year yet. So, you know, I want to see them do it as well. You know, the Mets, you know, they've battle-tested. You know, they have the injuries, but they've been to a World Series. Uh, they made a nice run last year, even though they were injured. I could understand the Cubs and Dodgers obviously being ahead of them. I mean, the Cubs are just stacked. Lester, Arietta, Hendricks, and then obviously you got Kershaw in L.A. But, um, you know, I think the Mets, as far as... In the top five, you know, obviously I agree with that, but I would move them to that three spot. Interesting. And, you know, uh, in, in the article they wrote how the Cubs have the best team and now the best rotation in the league, even though they do have one glaring spot on their rotation, uh, and was it Brett Anderson? Mm-hmm. Brett Anderson is ranked as one of the lowest starters in the league, but with John Lester and with Kyle Hendricks and the other two guys they got, it doesn't even matter that Brett Anderson's one of the lowest right. ranked pitchers in the league. That's how high their pitcher score still is. So they have some consistency. And like you said, like the Red Sox, the Cubs should be experiencing some great run support. Uh, so you got to expect a lot out of the Cubs. But I want to go to the Dodgers, right? So Clayton Kershaw is obviously a stud. Amazing. He's probably the best pitcher in the league. Absolutely. Probably the best pitcher of this generation. I think that's pretty fair to say. If he's not, he's top three or five. And uh, who are some of the other guys? I know we got Kenta Maeda. He's only a second-year right. guy in the league. What can you expect out of their rotation? Uh, well, they re-signed Rich Hill. Um, he had a blister, big blister problem last year, but when he did pitch, he was really effective. I think his ERA was in actually the low twos. Uh, they also have that Ryu coming back from injury and Scott Casimir, ex-Met uh, Great there. Ex-Met Great. You know, <laughs> also, even. that you said ex-Met Great too, right? I have a friend, Alec, he does the pod with me on uh, for Monday mornings. 
I always say the term ex-Met great, and he's now started to pick up with the joke. But he always says former Met great, which is how I know he's not a true – he's not a Met fan. He's yeah. a big Yankee fan. Linda Cohen coined the term <laughs> ex-Met great years ago, and there's so many ex-Met greats out there. I think my favorite ex-Met great when you watch like baseball tonight or Sports Center, he's not in the league anymore, I don't think. Ty Wigginton. Oh, love Ty. <laughs> when Ty Wigginton would, would go yard and hit a home run, and you get an ex-Met great Ty Wigginton home run, like that – Made me sad and so happy all was, at the same he was time. The guy before David Wright, he was at their basement. <laughs> Literally, right, right, yeah. right before David Wright came up halfway through that season, Ty Wigginton was our guy, <laughs> which is just funny. Uh, we, we got off track there, but again, this is the Sports Blog New York podcast. I'm Peter Kennedy, joined here with Joe Staubach. So we just covered the Mets' starting rotation uh, from top to bottom. Hit on a lot of different storylines there. We're going to get into the bullpen and the closer situation a little bit later on. Let's make a shift to the offensive end, and let's talk about the infield. The infield's a pretty interesting thing. Obviously, David Wright is not ready to play. Uh, who expected that? We have Jose Reyes back. I think the general consensus of Met fans is that we're happy with that. I know I am. Yes, absolutely. Probably the best part of the infield, and well, arguably one of the best parts of the team, is the consistency we now have up the middle. Thank God. You can't expect a whole lot out of Israel Cabrera and Neil Walker, but you know what you're going to get. True professionals with a little pop. How do you feel about the Mets infield? I'm very happy with it. And, you know, I love David Wright. Um, you know, one of my favorite players growing up. But, you know, Jose Reyes does things for this team that I think better suits them to have him in the lineup instead of David Wright. You know, this team needs a leadoff hitter. They need some speed. Uh, they need that, you know, that energy that he plays with. It's infectious. I mean, uh, I love Jose, and I'm happy he's back. And then up the middle, you know, having Cabrera and Walker is such a, a breath of fresh air, especially those years when, you know, before they were here, you had Murphy and Wilmer Flores up the middle, and, you know, who can't turn a double play, who can't reach first base on a throw, and you don't have to worry about that now. And, I mean, some of the plays Cabrera makes. Scouts last year were saying, you know, he lost his step defensively. I mean, if you go back and look at some of his highlights from last year, he made some amazing plays at shortstop. He's still excellent. He has a great arm. And, you know, what he gave to them offensively last year was, you know, all gravy. I mean, he had some really big hits. He hit 23 home runs. Now, is that realistic to think that he could do that again this year? Maybe not. You know, maybe he's just hovering around that 17-18 area, which is still fine for a shortstop, especially one that's going to play great defense. Um, So I'm really looking forward to having him back again, uh, you know, holding down the fort until Ahmed Rosario's ready. No, obviously not going to get too far into that, but, I mean, he looks like the real deal. Well, tell, tell, tell the people about Ahmed Rosario just a little bit, a little tidbit. He is right now the number three prospect in all baseball. He is of the future Mets shortstop. Uh, he's very young. Uh, Keith Law, who does prospects for ESPN, compared him to Carlos Correa, Oof. which would be... Talk I mean, dirty to me. <laughs> oh, man. You can't get much better than that. Seriously. I mean, everybody loves to talk about the Yankees prospects, and uh, we're going to get into a Yankees preview later in the week, so definitely stay tuned for that. But now we're here to talk about a Mets prospect. We, we got some prospects of our own over here, and his name is Ahmed Rosario, and he might be one of the next best, <laughs> next best things. We can only pray. Right? Uh, but the position that I think is super interesting, I think could be uh, under the radar X factor, a really important position for the Mets is first base. So right now on opening day, we had Lucas Duda out there. And it's great to see Lucas Duda back on the field in the Mets uniform. Even got a big hit on opening day. Against the lefty. Against the lefty, nonetheless. That's very true. Um, So I think he's super interesting. And my favorite thing right now about Lucas Duda is where he batted in the lineup, right? 
Right. So you see a, a now injury-prone Lucas Duda batting fourth, fifth, maybe third or maybe even sixth, and you're like, eh, I don't feel that great about that. He can't stay on the field recently. He's kind of inconsistent. Yeah, he has great power, and he get really shot, really hot. Seeing uh, Lucas Duda in the seven hole makes me feel really good about this Mets lineup, better than I did before I knew he was going to be back on the team. Absolutely. I mean, normally in the National League, once you get past that five, six range in the lineup, I mean, you're talking about the seven, eighth hitters and obviously the pitcher batting ninth. You know, it gives a starter an opportunity to kind of relax. I mean, but you have Duda down there. He's a guy that's big-time 30 home run potential. Now, I don't think it's ideal that him and Bruce are batting back-to-back. You know, ideally you'd like to split them up, but, you know, how the lineup is constituted right now, you don't want to really move any of those top four guys. Um, but I know obviously Duda, I mean, you're looking at him in the seventh hole. That's dangerous, especially for other teams. And, you know, protecting Travis Darno down low, you kind of got to hide him a little bit until he gets going. You know, he obviously is a slow starter. He needs to stay healthy. But, I mean, Duda in the seventh spot is just going to be huge for this team. I couldn't agree more, and that's one of my – that's one of the things I'm looking forward to most, actually, is seeing if he could go on a couple of these hot streaks throughout the year. Because he's not a guy you can expect to be a consistent, like, 285. Right. He's, he's, you know, he'll bat, like, 250, guy. 260 if you're lucky. But he'll have a week where he hits five home runs, oh, six absolutely. home runs, and just carry a team by run producing. So, great to see him back, swinging the bat. Uh, but another interesting thing about first base is that, obviously, he struggles more with lefties than he does righties, being a big lefty. We have a guy who's kind of a utility at this point, who Mets fans have grown to love in the past year or so. Wilmer Flores is going to be a platoon infielder, first baseman, hit against lefties. How important is it to have a guy like him, and throw TJ Rivera into the mix, uh, how important is it to have guys like that in the mix off your bench? I mean, Wilmer Flores is huge for this team. I mean, you saw last year when guys started going down, he went to second base, he went to third base, he went to first base. You know, obviously even you can put him at shortstop if you're really handcuffed. Uh, but what he does against left-handed pitching, he was one of the best in the whole league last year hitting against lefties. He had 340, 11 of his 16 bombs were against lefties. I mean, that's a guy who you need in the lineup against left-handers. Um, you know, he had the thing in spring training where he said he wants to kind of play every day. Obviously there's not a spot for him, so he's going to be platooning. But, I mean, when you can take Duda out, especially when you have other lefties in the lineup like Grandison and Bruce and you need that right-handed bat, I mean, Flores has to be right in the middle of that lineup against lefties. He's got to be, you know, in the four spot or the five spot against lefties because he's that good against left-handed pitching. Well, I mean, off the top of my head, I knew that he was a pretty good hitter against lefties, but you bring up that stat, 340 against lefties with 11 out of 16 home runs against solely against lefties is pretty crazy. Very impressive. And another guy... Speaking against against lefties is Neil Walker in the infield. He was known as not a great hitter from the right side against lefties, and he had one of his best years in his career from the right side of the plate against lefties. So, you know, the team against lefties with Jay Bruce, Curtis Granish, and Lucas Duda, you go, right. oof, that doesn't look too good. Exactly. But then you got Wilmer Flores platoon. You got another righty and TJ Rivera to platoon a little bit. And then, obviously, Neil Walker had his best career against a uh, best year in his career against lefties last year. Um, the Mets lineup is more balanced than I thought. Now that we're going through it, yeah, I mean, finally, <laughs> and we haven't even gotten to the outfield yet, which is obviously I think their strong point. But um, yeah, like you said, Neil Walker, who came out of nowhere last year, did eight home runs against righties when he's never had more than three in any year of his career. 
I mean, you're hoping that Kevin Long found something in his swing right-handed that can change that, and, you know, he could be a big, big bat against lefties, and that's what obviously this team needs with, you know, some lefties in that lineup that you want to try and hide, like Grandison and Bruce, obviously Duda. Um, yeah, but, you know, if Walker can stay healthy, you know, he had the back surgery last year. You know, it was nice that he took the qualifying offer. Uh, the Mets had contract extension talks in the spring. I think, you know, they'll want to see how he does throughout the season, but... I mean, he can be huge, and obviously he's, as well, like I said with Cabrera, he's very reliable defensively. And a guy who, like I said, when you listen to the broadcast, they say leads by example and is a great guy in the locker room. Uh, do, do you think Yankee fans get a little bit, you know, tongue-in-cheek or a little upset when they hear about Kevin Long on the Mets uh, fixing swings and turning people around? <laughs> um, you know, it's possible. I know they didn't leave on the best terms, but, you know, they still look at him as one of their own, I'm sure. You know, he had that World Series with them in 09. Uh, so it's possible, definitely. Right. Well, very interesting there. Uh, and again, we're going to go into the Yankees uh, later in the week, so definitely stay tuned for that. I'm going to get a couple Yankee guys out here to talk and break down their pitching staff, infield, outfield, the whole nine uh, on them. So that'll be posted later in the week. But we're going all Mets on this podcast. After we hit Romo, we hit the NCAA, Sports Blog New York podcast, Pete Kennedy, Joe Staubach. We're sticking with the Mets all day, every day, until we do the Yankees one. <laughs> but let's talk about the catcher position. So we got Rene Rivera, who has now become Noah Syndergaard's personal catcher, if you want to right. call him that. But the guy everybody is looking to is Travis Darno. How do you feel about Travis this year? <sighs> Travis Darno, I just don't know. You oh, know? <laughs> nice run. <laughs> yeah, I'm not as high on Travis Darno. Um just physically, when you look at him, he just doesn't scream catcher to me. You know, I want my catcher to be a bigger guy, a guy that can, you know, take a beating. And he's just he's just so small and just lanky. And the thing with his swing last year, that hitch he had where he wrapped the bat, it just rubs me the wrong way. And, you know, he doesn't have a strong arm. He can't it's, get the ball out of the glove. No, it's, and especially for this pitching staff, who's not great at holding runners on. I mean, that's why Renee. That, that was an understatement. They're, yeah. they're bad Terrible. <laughs> at holding runners on. And, you know, that's why Rivera really works with Syndergaard because, you know, he's got such a quick release and the strong arm and, you know, at least they have a chance to throw a guy out. But, I mean, when you're going to play the Marlins, what, 18, 19 times a year and D. Gordon's going to be on base, you know, with Darno behind the play, that's going to become an automatic double or a triple every time he's on base. So, I mean, I wanted them to address that position in the offseason. There were some guys out there I really liked Wellington Castillo, especially when he got released. I mean, he didn't even sign a big deal with Baltimore. Um, obviously Alderson wanted to address at last year the trade deadline when they really looked hard into Lucroy. Uh, he's obviously a free agent after this season, but I mean this is this is the year for Darno. Uh, it's now or never, and he might not even get the full year. You know, I'm sure if he's struggling again like last year, once the trade deadline comes around, Alderson's going to do the same thing. You know, th- he wants to win now. This team is built to win now, and if Darno's not going to give them, you know, what they need behind the plate, they're going to have to get outside options. And as a baseball fan seeing the catcher position for the all my years of watching the game it's one of those positions where you will surrender a little offense for quality work behind the dish absolutely framing pitches not just throwing out runners but framing pitches throwing your body around for blocking balls like like you said get taking a beating and then obviously keeping pitchers heads on straight throwing the ball to second base third base so it's something that you say, if, if Darno is not able to pick up his bat, why should Rene Rivera exactly. not become the full-time catcher? I couldn't agree more. I had this conversation, you know, 
almost weekly with my friends. You know, if Darno's not going to give you, you know, he's not going to give you much behind the plate defensively. If he's not going to go out there and do anything with the bat, just keep Rivera back there because you know at least he's going to give you what you need defensively. That's a given. So anything he'll give you offensively, especially in the eight spot in the lineup, is just gravy at that point. And I forget what show I was listening to. Uh, may have been Han and Humpty, Han Humpty and Canty. I forget. It doesn't really matter. But they said, so Syndergaard has basically stated, I want Renee Rivera to catch me every time I pitch. He want, I want him to be my personal catcher. What if now DeGrom comes out and says, oh, you know, I actually really like throwing to Renee. And then Harvey, oh, I actually really like throwing to Renee. Then all of a sudden, Darno can't even play himself out of the lineup. Rene Rivera literally just swipes under and takes his spot. It's a really interesting storyline, and luckily there's kind of depth there. Like you know what? Like I said before, you're willing to surrender a little offense, which you will probably with Rene right. Rivera, as long as you have quality work behind the dish. So that's an interesting storyline to keep up with throughout the season. And you know you'll see Rene Rivera every time Syndergaard's on the mound, and let's see how many more starts he gets in between those times but I want to ask you a question and we'll move on to the outfield so the big thing with the catching position and with Darnell and with this staff not being able to hold runners on teams steal at will almost any team in the league with any semblance of speed is able to steal at will Mm -hmm. how far do you think that goes to affecting pitchers to affecting defense to affecting the outcome of games I mean, it's it's so frustrating. It's got to be frustrating to everyone on the team, and Terry Collins and Dan Warden especially, because you have such a good pitching staff starting rotation that it is almost impossible for teams to string together three or four hits in a row to score runs against this team. So when you're getting a guy on first base and then all of a sudden he's on second because he stole or he's even on third because he stole third, I mean, you're basically just conceding runs at that point. You know, make it more difficult than that. Make them string together three or four hits against, you know, all these aces. You know, it's almost impossible to do. And, you know, it's frustrating when guys are just stealing all over the place and you're conceding runs on ground ball outs with one one and zero outs in the inning. I, I tend to slightly – I mean, I agree with everything you said. Your logic is completely sound. And it is very frustrating to watch other teams just run at will. For some reason, I have this feeling watching baseball, not just about the Mets – that the steal is becoming less valuable. People don't really care about it as much. And it's the same thing with the strikeout. People don't care if their offensive players strike out as much as they used to. So, you know, the Mets gave up a ton of steals, and yet they still had some of the best runs allowed uh, numbers in the league. So it is a really interesting dynamic of how frustrating it is to watch Mm -hmm. and to how much it actually affects the game. But, you know, it could be one game it doesn't affect at all, and the next game, it's the only reason the other team scored two or right. three runs, and it's the difference between a win and a loss. Absolutely. So basically, maybe it doesn't affect one game, but it very well can be the difference between a win and a loss in the next. So it's interesting, and you know the catching situation will be one to watch uh, throughout the season. But let's get into the outfield. But again, first, this is the Sports Blog New York podcast. My name is Peter Kennedy, joined here with Joe Staubach. If you like what you've been hearing, you can go to iTunes or Google Play, search Sports Blog New York podcast, or go to sportsblognewyork.com. Click the podcast tab. Any of those articles will lead you in the right direction. And if you so kindly will, leave a little rating and review uh, on the podcast on iTunes or Google Play. It goes a long way in the iTunes podcast world. We appreciate every single listener, and we love it. We love any support we can get. So thank you guys for listening, and uh, now let's get into the outfield. Let's get into it, and we got to start with the big man, Ioannis. He is the star attraction. He is... 
the reason a lot of people come to the ballpark. He's just the man, to be honest with you. Um, you look how far this outfield has come, and I threw this in the article. In 2013, their starting outfield was Mike Baxter, oh. Kirk Neuenheis, oh. and Jason Bay. <laughs> and now you look and Three you Three knives have in the heart. Joanna Cespedes in left, who hit 31 homers last year. Curtis Granderson in center, albeit, I mean, you don't want him in center every single day, but, you know, you take the good with the bad. 30 homers last year. Jay Bruce, who had 33 last year, only eight with the Mets, but you're obviously hoping for a bounce back. This team goes as Cespedes goes, and we've seen it the last two years. When he gets hot, and he got hot at the end of last year, and that's when the Mets made their run, this team is very hard to beat. I mean, his record with them, his record is something crazy. It was like 106 and 74 in the lineup with Cespedes. Yeah, I heard that number during the opening day game as well. And if you didn't bring it up, I was gonna, I was gonna do it as well. Uh, but the pace of their winning with Cespedes in the lineup, it was like, like you said, it was 106 and 74 or something like that. They were they're on pace for 95 wins a year with Cespedes in the lineup. So clearly, when he gets banged up. Well, you knew that off the top of your head. It was 106 yeah, and 74. Right in there. Very well done, Mr. Staubach. And again, that, that preview that he wrote is on sportsblognewyork.com, so go on there. If you don't find it on the homepage, just click the baseball tab, and you'll see it right there. I'll also put it in the podcast article to go right to it as well. 106 and 74 with Cespedes in the lineup. That just goes to show, because they weren't a 95-win team no. last year, how much better they are with him than without him. And you don't see that that often in the MLB for one player. I mean, he's the guy in the lineup where, you know, every time he steps to the plate, you know, all eyes in the ballpark turn to the batter. I mean, he's unbelievable. Every time he gets up to the plate, you think he can go deep. And not only can he do that, but you've seen in big moments, almost Piazza-esque the last couple of years, where he's just had big hits and big home runs, walk-offs, and, you know, huge monster home runs. He hit one to the third deck last year against the Cubs. I mean, this guy has a flair for the dramatic. He loves playing in New York. You know, he came back twice now, you know, when he had the opportunity to leave. You know, the Mets love him. The fans love him. He obviously loves being in New York. And I mean, I don't think anyone saw this being a perfect fit when he, they got him at the trade deadline 2015. But, I mean, it couldn't have worked out better for this organization. And my favorite thing is in, on opening day, Jose Reyes was rocking the lime green arm sleeve. And I love that. That means that they're boys. They're hanging out. They're, they're having a good time. Because, you know, my favorite thing growing up watching Jose Reyes play is that dude had so much fun playing the game. And watching him hit a triple was the most exciting thing in baseball, in my opinion. And obviously I was biased as a young kid and a Mets fan. But granted, he won't hit those triples anymore. But between guys like Reyes and Cespedes who have this flair for the dramatic you're talking about, they ain't shying away from the big moment. And hopefully for Mets fans and for the Mets as a team, they're going to have a lot of big moments this year. Gonna, there's a good chance they're going to be playing very important baseball in August and then in September and hopefully October. And you need a guy like Cespedes there. And having him back, it, you just can't, like you said, you can't ask for much more as a fan. Absolutely. I mean, Sandy Olsen's done a great job, and now, you know, it's time to go to work. Hell yeah. And now let's hop over to the opposite side of where Cespedes hangs out. Who You know, he's a pretty decent outfielder when he wants to be as well. You got Jay Bruce in right field. Now, I'm, I'm a little optimistic on Jay Bruce, but when I say I'm optimistic, I want to explain I'm not looking for him to hit 280, 40 home runs right. and drive in 120. I'm looking at his track record, his personal track record, and saying 
250, 25, 30, 35 home runs, 100 RBIs, maybe 90, maybe 110. And I am happy as right. hell with that. Exactly. And I mean, I'm just looking at his track record. Mm-hmm. What's your uh, what's your look on Jay Bruce? I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head right there. I mean, you're looking at his floor being, you know, at least 25 home runs, you know, hitting 250-ish, driving in some runs. I mean, if he's going to hit sixth and behind guys like Cespedes and Grandison, I mean, you can't ask for much more than that. Um, obviously, it's, you know, tough what happened with Conforto, you know, not really going to get playing time, you know, barring injury. To start especially, yeah. Right. I mean, it's tough, you know, at a young kid like that, but – like we said, this team has to win now, and I think Jay Bruce does give him the best chance to win. Absolutely. Um, so I guess we both kind of feel the same way about Jay Bruce. And like I said, I'm I'm basing this off of the fact that I think people overreacted to say he can't handle New York because he came from one of the worst teams in the league to a team trying to make the playoffs. Right, thrown into a playoff race. Th- literally thrown into the fire. And then B, like I said before, I'm just strictly looking at this man's track record. His down years are close to... His average years, they're close to 250, he's close to 25, and he's just a quality professional baseball player. Right. And uh, I think the Mets fans should expect the same thing, and hopefully he doesn't end up like Jason Bay. Right, <laughs> I mean, he is what he is at this point. Obviously, yeah. he got off to a rocky start last year, but, you know, I think he's that good professional hitter, obviously, has the power, and so, you know, you just hope that he gets back to his form he had in Cincinnati. All right, so I want to talk to you about the other outfielder, Curtis Granderson, and not about him in the outfield, because I think... He proved last year he's at least serviceable as a center fielder on the defensive side. He was pegged into the four slot, the cleanup spot in the lineup. If you were Terry Collins and you were drawing out that lineup card, is that where he would end up? Yes. And then after you – oh, it is? Yep. Okay, so explain your reasoning. I just think he's the perfect four-hitter for this team. Um, I think he's the guy that gets on base. He sees a lot of pitches. My main reason is because I don't want to disrupt the top three in the order. I think when the Mets really got hot last year, it was Reyes, Cabrera, Cespedes. And obviously you saw that the other day. I mean, Cabrera had three hits already. Um, so you got to leave those guys in there. Um, I think Granderson, you know, he's been really a key cog in this the past two seasons when the Mets got hot. I mean, he was the one doing a lot of damage. You know, he didn't drive in a lot of runs last year, but, I mean, he still had He was also bad runs. off a lot right. until Reyes took and that, him in. You know, that wasn't the perfect situation for him. But, you know, he's a guy who sees a lot of pitches, obviously get at the long ball. Um, he doesn't really make bad outs. You know, he, when he was with the Yankees in early his career, he was a big strikeout guy. I mean, that's kind of changed over the years. Um, I just think he's, though, that's a perfect spot for him in front of Neil Walker. And then it kind of gives you the depth in the lineup with Bruce and Duda down low. And I guess, uh, hearing your reasoning, cause I kind of felt like I want Jay Bruce in that four slot, right? Cause I think he has the biggest upside, uh, to be a power hitter, to be a run producer. And maybe it's because we haven't seen Granderson in that situation much. But the way you just explained it to me kind of enlightened me a little bit. Uh, having Granderson in the four spot deepens that lineup right. that much further. So imagine having Jay Bruce four, feel fine about that, and then you have Granderson at seven or se- or at six. For some reason, Granderson at six or seven feels worse than right. Bruce at six or seven. So I think putting Granderson in the meat in the middle of the lineup. He gets hidden but also is able to help the people around him while you have two big dogs in Bruce and Duda at 6 and 7. Right, and, and Granison's a guy who also he walks a lot. I mean, he's got a high on base percentage, great eye. I kind of don't want Bruce getting thrown to that four spot right away, especially after you know how last year ended. Kind of takes some pressure off from being in the sixth spot right now. I think Granny's obviously he's a professional. He's been playing in New York for you know almost a decade now between the Yankees and the Mets. 
So, you know, I think he's fine hitting that fourth spot, and you kind of, you know, let Bruce settle in and kind of get hot. I think your reasoning was sound, and I think you just swayed me a little bit. Because I was going to try to play devil's advocate and disagree with you because I kind of did feel like Granderson shouldn't be that guy in the fourth slot. But your reasoning is sound, and I think you were just in Terry Collins' head, and you, you figured it out. Like, I don't know. I don't know what you just did there, but you got me on the Granderson in the cleanup spot hole uh, in that bandwagon. So we're running on to just under 50 minutes here. So let's talk about some competition real quick. So, you know, the bullpen's not really that exciting of a topic. So Familia's out. He's suspended for a little bit. He'll be back. I think the bullpen, especially on the back end, solid. Addison Reed, Jerry Familia when he comes back. You got Robles. You got Salas. You should feel fine about the bullpen. It's not great. It's not the Yankees last year with Betances Miller and Chapman. Uh, but it's solid. It's reliable. Do you, do you agree with that? Yeah. Because uh, I don't want to spend too much time no, on No, I would agree. Um, obviously, you're going to need some guys to step up with the games that Familia is going to miss. But, I mean, re-signing Jerry Blevins, getting that lefty. Um, Salas, bringing him back, I thought was huge. And a, a guy I'm looking to step up, and you mentioned his name, is Hansel Robles. Because I think when you actually see him on the mound and you see the kind of stuff he has, I mean, he's hitting high 90s in his velocity. He's got a nasty slider. It's just a consistency from him. You know, sometimes he's out there and it looks like he's not even trying to locate. He's just trying to rear back and throw as hard as he can. And that's not going to work in this league. But, I mean, as far as pure stuff and the arm, I mean, he has it. So that's a guy that, you know, you want to look to step up. And I know he got the seventh inning yesterday. So with Familia out, you know, hopefully he gets a chance to show what he could do. Interesting stuff. And like I said, I don't want to spend too much time on the bullpen, so we're going to move on from that. So let's talk about a little competition, right? So the clear competition in the NL East is the Washington Nationals. Then you got teams that just feel like thorns in the side of the New York Mets in the Marlins, the Braves, and the Phillies. Teams the Mets should clearly be better than, but can also clearly have a tough time with throughout the season, and they're teams they see quite often. But according to 538, we'll go back to them real quick. They are um, the second highest team in the NL East for playoff percentage and uh, basically winning the World Series, winning the division, being the best team in that division. But in the entire league, 538 has them seventh in the league projected to make the playoffs uh, record-wise the whole nine. How do you feel the mess stack up against their division and then amongst the National League, even amongst the whole league? Well, obviously the NL East will come down to them in Washington. And I touch on this in my article. I think the team that stays the healthiest is going to win the division. I mean, you saw in 2015, the Nats had a bunch of injuries. The Mets took the the division. Last year, Mets had a bunch of injuries. Washington took the division. So I think these teams are so evenly matched, and these rotations are so good, and the lineup has so much depth that it's going to come down to whoever's healthiest. And as far as thorns on the sides, I mean, this Braves team, if you look at them, they're not bad. I mean, that lineup yesterday, it's full of veterans. It's full of pesky hitters. You know, you guys, guys like Matt Kemp, um, Brandon Phillips. Obviously, Dansby Swanson's going to be a stud once he uh, figures it out. Ender Inciarte, I already want to punch in the face. <laughs> He's got a I hose, mean, too. He, he almost threw out Flores yesterday. The whole thing last year with robbing the home run from Cespedes. I was at that game. That was unbelievable, that catch. Oh, and two innings before God. that game, before that, when Cespedes almost hit a walk-off, he hit a ball to left field that was almost robbed that came back in and got a double on. That was ridiculous. But, yeah, go on. Sorry, I cut you off. I mean, but, yeah, I mean, and the, what the Braves do with their rotation. You know, they stole Bartolo from us. You know, tomorrow there's going to be sh- some tears shed, you know, when he returns to City Field for his uh, start. Um, R.A. Dickey, another reliable guy. Julio Tehran, who the Mets just can't do anything against. Look at it last year. Obviously, yesterday he pitched amazing. 
Um, but the Braves, you know, they're a pesky little team. I wouldn't be surprised if they're, you know, hovering around 500, you know, 77, 78 wins. And that, that's kind of what worries me, too. So the Marlins are probably better than the Phillies and probably better than the Braves. Yet the Phillies and Braves scare me just as much right. because they're young or have a nice mix of vet and young guys like the Braves do. And they have nothing to lose, and they're just going to come out yep. at the Mets' throat every single time they play. So it does worry me a little bit, and obviously we play them more than any other team in the league. So it is going to be interesting how they face off against division foes. Um, I do also want to mention another thing by 538, just because this is, the, this is fun, and this is, the Mets, this is the Mets podcast, right? The Mets preview podcast. The first year in 20 years in New York City – that the Mets have been voted the favorite baseball team. Wow. So shout out Mets. Shout out Mets fans. Yankees ain't got nothing on the Mets <laughs> right now. Actually, I'm just kidding. According to 538, the Mets are 45% of New York City's favorite baseball team. And the Yankees are very close at 43%. So it's not a big difference, but Mets fans won this battle. <laughs> <laughs> For one year at least. For one year in the first last 20. The last time they did the census, and I believe Quinnipiac runs these polls, was in 2014, and it was 61% Yankees, 27 Mets. So uh, the front runners might be out. Yeah, it depends how you look at it. A little bit. Either way, I'm happy the Mets fans are happy and that they're excited for this season. Uh, what else you got? Last last tidbits for Mets fans and for the season coming up. Uh, you know, just looking forward to it. Uh, Going to try and stay positive no matter what happens. You know, in my mind, I'm just thinking, you know, this team won 87 games last year. And with all those injuries, you know, I'm just brainwashing myself to say, you know, how could it be worse? Or how could their floor not be 86, 87 wins? Because you looked at all the crap they went through last year with all these guys getting injured. You know, I don't think it's possible to have that many injuries again. So I'm hoping, you know, this team gets into, you know, the 90-win plateau. I don't want to play in the wild card game again. I was at that game last year at City Field. Don't want to ever think of Madison Bub Garner in a one-game playoff ever again. You know, I love Thor, but, you know, if I had to pick one guy in the entire league, not I didn't want to see in a one-game playoff, it's Madison Bub Garner. This team has to win the division. They have to win this year. You look at, you know, all the guys who are coming into contract years. That's another big thing, contract years. Granderson, Cabrera, Walker, you know, Duda, all these guys are in contract years. So I think, you know, that's a little incentive for them. Um and yeah, you know, let's get it on. I like what you're saying. I like what I'm hearing. I'm just going to remind everybody. We're Mets fans. <laughs> we understand what it's like to struggle. But the th- my favorite thing you said is that last year, the Mets went through hell and came Absolute back. Hell. But the important part was they actually came back and they had in the upper 80s wins, but they have 87 by the end of the year. So say they do get the injury bug again and they lose a starter, they lose an infielder, they lose an outfielder. I think we can feel confident enough that the Mets have just enough depth to deal with some injuries because they're going to happen. Hopefully not as much as last year, but you know an injury here and an injury there will arise. You just hope that they set themselves up in such a way that their depth with their one or two extra infielders, one one or two extra outfielders, and uh, now only kind of one extra yeah. pitcher. <laughs> we already, already <laughs> d- dug into that hole a little bit. But you got to hope that they can at least – repeat what they did last year but i said this last week's podcast i'll say it one more time the mets need to be in the playoffs this year or it is a slightly wait it's not i'm not going to say slightly i'm going to be blunt it's going to be a wasted season if the mets aren't in the playoffs and i'll take the 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 wild card because i think the nationals are super talented 
I'll take the wild card, but you got to make that run for the division because it makes your life ten times easier. Yeah, and I think they saw that last year, and you know I couldn't agree with you more. They don't make it this year. It's a huge disappointment I mean, with this roster. So make your prediction. Give me your gut. Give me a number on just wins. You don't have to tell me losses. Just give me how many wins you think they got and uh, how, how far they go, if they go anywhere. I'm going to go with 93 wins. Oh, I think they're going to break through this year. I think this is their year to stay healthy. I think last year, obviously, you said was hell. Uh, I think they'll turn around this year. 93 wins. Let's go to the World Series. I love it. I love where your head's at. I love where your heart's Gotta at. Gotta be optimistic. I'm, I'm digging it. I'm also, I'm also optimistic. I think they're getting better from last year. I don't have them breaking the 90 range. I'm going to say 89 wins. I think it's a realistic expectation where maybe that's a division win. Maybe 89 is enough where you know everybody's beating up on each other just mm-hmm. enough. But 89 should get you in the wild card. And I playoffs are bust, like I said. I see them losing in the, in the CS, NLCS. I don't know. I'm just taking this is taking a guess at it. Obviously, the predictions mean nothing, but uh, <laughs> it was a lot of fun to talk Mets with you, Joe. Thanks Absolutely. for coming on. No problem. Anytime. Uh, we'll have you back again. Probably, you know, maybe we'll get you. Maybe you come back next week, the week yeah. after. It's baseball season, yeah, maybe. I mean, we're always down to talk Mets. And I know you're ready for the NBA draft oh, as well. Super excited, which for the is NBA around draft. the block. Yes. Very excited. A lot of great stuff coming up. Again, we have a big Yankees preview coming up by the end of the week. So stay tuned for that. But well, this was the Mets preview, and hopefully you Mets fans are excited as we are. We're 1-0 on the season. <laughs> Undefeated. Hell yeah. 162-0. <laughs> this is the Sports Blog New York Podcast. I'm Peter Kennedy. Joe Staubach. Hopefully you guys enjoyed the show. If you liked what you heard, subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes and Google Play. Go Mets. Let's go Mets.